We all want to be happier, but how do we get there? First, we start by realizing happiness is not a destination. Being happy consists of micro action steps every single day. I'm your host, Brittany King, and I'm here to guide you along the way. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Positively Real podcast. I'm your host and coach, Brittany King, and we have a very special guest in the house because we have another podcast host joining me today, Kelly Smith. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you, Brittany? What a fun little mommy podcasting little time we get to have together today. <laughs> oh, I, I like got what as I was preparing for this episode and like just diving into all of the amazing value you add to the world. I got so excited because I love this topic and I also love talking about all things mom and motherhood because as most of you know, I am new to the whole motherhood world and I love how all of these um, topics are interwoven into the whole experience and journey into motherhood. So I'm really excited. And when you get two podcast hosts on a show, it's just like magic is created because we just can't stop talking. (laughs) We just can't stop talking. And it just, it just flows so beautifully. So Kelly, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell the listeners who you are and what you're up to in this world. Sure. So I'm Kelly Smith. I am the founder of yoga for you, which is location independent yoga and meditation school. And I'm the host of the podcast, Mindful Minutes, and also Meditation Mama. So they're two um, meditation podcasts. Mindful Minutes has short guided meditations for everyone and also kind of weekly, just like down to earth teachings and reflections on meditation and this wild ride that we call life. And then Meditation Mama is guided meditations for mothers from the prenatal all the way through the postpartum stage. Um, so, and I, I kind of laugh, Brittany, when you say that you're new to motherhood, because I firmly believe we are all a mother to something. And yes. even if you only became a mother to a child recently, I think that, um, you know, or I should say we're a parent to everyone and to everything, but you know, we're all a mother to something. So those podcasts, they were my babies before babies. Um, and I am also a mother to a tiny human. We call him pork chop. And so I kind of balance my days, um, being a meditation teacher, teaching people how to teach meditation, restorative yoga and yoga nidra leading retreats, and then being pork chops mom, which is one of the most challenging, lovely, um, interesting roles I've had in my entire life. Oh, I love that you said that. It's so true. Like be like, whether you have a child or not, we are all a mother to something. And as you were saying that my brain was flooded with all the things that I'm a mother to like these plants behind me, I'm a plant mom before I was Ellie's mommy and my dog. And I used to train, um, spin instructors. That was like where my passion for coaching was um, developed. And I call them still my spin children. So I love that you said that because it is so true. And I just like, I said, and you can be a mother to an idea. That's what I think of all the time where it's like, I gave life to this idea. So, so you're not new to motherhood. You just have a new baby. No, just, I have a new baby. I have a a tiny human. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, 
I am just so excited about our conversation today. I feel like you are, have a wealth of knowledge and information that we get to share, especially around the topic of meditation and specifically with yoga Nidra. I was introduced to yoga Nidra many, many, many moons ago when I worked at Lululemon and it was one of the coolest practices that I ever experienced. And I've always had this weird connection with like, I can't do yoga Nidra at home. I have to go to a studio, which is not true. Um, that is a thought error, but because I associated with the studio I was going to, and then that studio closed, I just like lost touch with it. So when we were connecting and I saw like, Oh, yoga Nidra and like the magic of breath and how you can create your own practice. I was like, this is a life-changing practice. And I'm really excited to share your knowledge with uh, my community and also selfishly myself, because I think, I mean, there's just so much to learn about it. So tell me a little bit about like your journey into becoming a meditation teacher. Yeah. So I actually did not um, start with meditation. I didn't even really care for the practice. I thought it was a little bit silly and I started um, just you know, long story short, I started way back um, practicing yoga, um, vinyasa practice, which is where I started, but I was there for the physical 100%. I was an athlete. I was there for a good stretch. I was there for cross training for my sports. And I was even a Shavasana skipper. When we hit Shavasana, I rolled up that mat. I, you know, gave my instructor a little wave and I tiptoed out the door. And I started with that and I, enjoyed the movement. And it wasn't until I became a yoga teacher that I really started to be introduced to this idea of meditation and even be introduced to the power of Shavasana. Now, in hindsight, I realized I just never had a teacher that educated me on why we practice Shavasana, the importance of that pose, you know, the importance of introspection, how yoga is so much more than poses. And even though I learned about meditation, I still didn't really do anything about it for a while. It wasn't until I moved to rural Missouri for love. Um, and I decided to leave my big girl job and I wanted to teach yoga full time. And I ended up opening a studio in this small town. And I, I believe it's my role as a teacher to meet my students where they're at and to give them the tools they need for their toolbox. And meditation came up time and time again of being something they were curious about, of something that they wanted to explore. And I didn't feel like I had the tools to be an effective teacher. So I started diving into the practice. I read the books. I started meditating. I went and lived with some monks in the forest for a little bit. I did all of the things so that then I could learn about meditation myself and try to embody it and then bring it back and give it to my students in a very kind of simple, digestible way. And that was, you know, seven years ago. And I still, through my podcast, I'm doing that where I like to kind of take this big, wild idea of meditation and break it down to just like this really simple thing that you can do in just a few minutes to have a giant impact on your health and your well-being and just your life in general. Mm. Oh, that is amazing. I think so many people resonate with that with yoga. I also started doing my yoga practice for the cross training, like that resonates with me. And then once you really start to sink into the practice and what it's really about. It changes everything. But I think with meditation, and this is what comes up a lot with my clients is that they, I hear this all the time. In fact, we were having a client happy hour 
And one of the gals I was with was like, I just, I can't meditate. It's just too hard. I can't sit with myself. I'm always, I have to go. Like, it's just not for me. Um, and usually when I hear someone say that, I'm like, oh, that's a sign that you probably would benefit very deeply from meditating. Yeah. So let's talk about the importance of introspecting and connecting with your true self through a meditation practice. Yeah. So I, I hear that all the time too, Brittany, all the time people tell me when they hear what I do, they're like, oh my gosh, I tried that once and I hated it. It was so hard. (laughs) My brain was so busy. And like, I hold space for that, but I always tell people like saying your brain is too busy to meditate as being like, I'm too dirty to take a shower. It's like, how are you going to remedy that situation? And also as someone who has a busy brain, as someone with, um, you know, functioning in the world with ADHD, I understand stand having a busy brain. And if anything, that kind of motivates me to do it more because it's had such a large impact in my life. And I think for so many people, introspection is such an important and powerful practice, but we don't do it. We live our lives going outward. We are scrolling through social media. We're talking to people. We're running errands. We're looking out the window. Everything that we're doing is an outward exchange. And we don't often take the time to hit the pause button and to turn inward and to be introspective and have that kind of internal exchange with the self, which is what I love about meditation is that it gives us the opportunity in yoga. We call it pratyahara. It's just like withdrawal of the senses, but it gives us this ability and it challenges us to be an observer of what is happening within us and around us and to have that internal exchange with the self instead of always kind of being outwardly focused. And what Mm -hmm. often happens, and this happens to me too, a meditation teacher it's not always pleasant. It's not always um, nice. It's not always cute. It's not always sunshine and rainbows because what happens when you're always, you know, outward, 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 do more, be more, go faster, constantly overstimulated is that when you hit the pause button and you turn inward, it's like things start to bubble up or we're like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I didn't realize I was feeling this way. And They say quiet the mind and the soul shall speak, but it's actually quiet the mind and everything starts yelling at you because it's like you finally, your body and your mind and your heart, it's like, oh my gosh, I finally have her attention. She's listening to me. This is what I need to tell you. Like my body is Mm -hmm. tired or I, you know, I'm feeling sad. And what do we do with sadness? We just push it farther down. We treat it like, you know, Mm -hmm. cheese that we put in the back of our fridge. And all of a sudden it's like Mm -hmm. two months later, we find it covered in mold and it's a big stinky mess. Like we just push Mm -hmm. it down. And so when we don't take the time to turn inward and be introspective and see what's going on beneath the surface, it's really hard to do anything about how we're actually feeling and showing up in our everyday life and just living as human beings. Mm. So good. I mean, like that it's, it's funny that you say that because I'm just coming off of vacation and that's what I did. I turned off the noise. Like I was just overstimulated between like having a baby and being just like bombarded by all of this information and also like outwardly looking for information because I was very vulnerable and I could feel it. And I just like knew there was a disconnect. So I just decided to like cut out the noise, simplify things. And wow, what a shift it made. And it's so interesting because it's exactly what happened. Like cut out the noise, start tuning in a little bit more. And it is like yelling. You're like, wait a second. (laughs) Like who turned up that knob? 
And it's uncomfortable at first. And I think that's why people stare away from meditation because they're afraid of what they're going to uncover. And they think that it's going to like overpower them. But the exact opposite is true. It truly does give you authority over the things that you've been ignoring or pushing down. And it helps kind of liberate yourself from that. So, you know, when someone is resistant to it, obviously like there is a way around that resistance. What is like the simplest way that you are able to help someone that is resistant to like going inward to tuning in instead of, you know, outsourcing their power? Mm. So the first thing is I always like to give people permission to opt out of meditation. And I say that very lovingly that just because something is important to me and it's changed my life doesn't always mean that it's going to do the same for everyone else. So I always like to start, and I know this may not be where you were expecting me to go, but I always like to start with giving people the permission to opt out if anything really just doesn't feel good to them. Meditation should always be something that now... I didn't say it would always feel pleasant or always be nice, Mm -hmm. but you don't want your meditation practice to add to like your mental, emotional stress load. So Mm -hmm. if you're at a point in life and you start, you know, turning inward and you're like, you know, this really isn't for me or this isn't for me right now, that's okay. And I really like to take away this kind of, I guess, seriousness in a way around meditation, like meditation Mm -hmm. is important and it can be life-changing. It can be profound. It also can just be this nice thing that you do for yourself to kind of honor your body and your mind. So I always like to tell people if they're meeting resistance, like, you know, you are your own best teacher. You are in charge of your own life. And so if meditation isn't for you, then just don't do it. And Mm -hmm. I think that we don't, especially when it comes to the health and wellness space, Like we don't always give people permission to do what feels good to them. And, you know, Brittany, I can't speak for you, but I, especially since I became a mom, have found myself becoming really trapped in like the, I shoulds be doing this. Mm -hmm. Like, well, I should still be meditating every day, which, you know, this is my career. I still don't meditate every day. Sometimes I just don't get to it or, oh, I should be, you know, moving this many days a week. I should be responding to that email. I should be doing this right now. My life has been flooded with like these shoulds. So mm-hmm. if all of a sudden meditation is turning into like a should, then there's probably mm-hmm. bigger things that you need to address first, work on that, mm-hmm. and then you can come back to the practice of meditation. Mm-hmm. To answer the other part of your question. So let's say you don't fall into that category and you're like, no, I want to do it. It's just like, I'm kind of resistant and it feels a little bit uncomfortable. I always tell people, try to approach it with an inquisitive mind. So we want to meditate in a way that is non-judgmental and is more observational than trying to, you know, figure out the problem and find a solution. So if you find that when you sit down, you're thinking a lot about your grocery list that you're, you know, have to write after you meditate because you're going to the store today, be inquisitive about that. Just be like, huh, that's so interesting. I'm really worried about getting everything on this grocery list. What is about that? Or what is that about? And kind of just sit with it and be inquisitive and be lighthearted and be open-minded to the thoughts and the experiences that you're having that are coming up because they are your thoughts and your experiences, but we don't need to take that time to try to always analyze or find the solution, or it doesn't mean you're a quote bad person because you're thinking about your grocery list when you're meditating, just kind of let it be a little bit easier, like think less, worry less about it and just let the experience be what it is. Mm -hmm. Mm. 
I think curious, bringing curiosity into it is so powerful. Like instead of pushing away something, being like, well, that's interesting. Yeah. And it's, why is that coming Absolutely. Up? It's because it is interesting. It is, and it's, it's, like, so, it's like, why am I sitting down right now? And this is coming and up. You're like, oh, really? Finally, I, you know, try to quiet my mind. And like, this is the thing that I'm thinking about. Right. Or all of a sudden you think about a person and you're like, whoa, I thought that person's like four years in my past. Why did they just like this one thing they said to right. me once? Why did that pop into my mind? And it's so easy when we don't have curiosity. It's like we can almost go into judgment mode and totally. we don't need to go there because our thoughts are just our thoughts. Our experiences are our experiences. And through meditation, we're trying to release our attachments to those judgments that need to fix, that need to improve. And we're just trying to observe the experience as it is. So I like to do that through curiosity and also kind of like just some lightheartedness of like, oh my gosh, like, wow, like, hi. So, and so like, haven't seen you in four years, yeah. but that one thing you said to me, like, it's obviously right. still in my mind and trying to just be like lighthearted about it. Yes. I'm, I resonate with that big time. Cause it, I think bringing lightheartedness and just like a little bit of humor, humor with mixed with that curiosity can really help because it is, we so often default to judgment and then criticizing ourselves. And then that creates more of a disconnect from our true self. Yeah. So I'm curious about like, you know, if someone is new to yoga nidra, it's the first time, he, or they've heard it before, um, but they're not exactly sure what that is. Tell me a little bit about um, how yoga nidra ties into a meditation practice. Mm-hmm. So I'll answer your question with a question. This is what happens when you invite a podcaster onto your show. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious, Brittany, I would love to hear about your yoga nidra experience because I know it's a practice that you love. And I'm always mm-hmm. so curious to hear like what that experience was like for people the first time. Yeah. Uh, well, my first time doing yoga nidra was in a small studio and the space was, the space was really transformative for me because I met, um, managers at Lululemon at the time when I was just finishing college and it ended up me having a job there. And then that path took me down like where I am today, basically. Um, so this was a very sacred space. It was a small space, probably could fit like six people. And the first time I ever took a yoga nidra class, I literally, I, it it was kind of, in a way felt like an out of body experience. Like there's my body. And I was like above it in a way, like that's how it felt because I wasn't quite sleeping, but I woke up feeling like super rested. And I was really aware of like what was going on the whole entire time. That was my first experience. Um, the other time I did it was in my office and we were doing these practices with different breath and it was, it was similar, but that time it kind of felt like I almost like a Xanax, like (laughs) that feeling of just like this heaviness, but also light, if that makes sense. It does. And that's something, I mean, I've heard that. I always tell people there's nothing, people always say, oh, I felt this or I experienced this. Is that quote weird? That's always what people are. I'm like, there really is like no weird. Everyone has a totally different experience. Like some things are more common than not. And I would say what you're describing is definitely some of the things I hear more often of like feeling heaviness or feeling like, you know, you're kind of tiptoeing between that awake, but asleep, like really relaxed state and feeling calm or feeling heavy and light at the same time. And mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting because everyone truly does have a different experience with yoga nidra. And like when I lead yoga nidra teacher trainings, this is something I prepare my students for of like, 
every single one of your students is going to have a different experience, but it's always an interesting one. And I think the way that yoga nidra and meditation relate is like, if meditation is like withdrawal of the senses, yoga nidra is like super withdrawal of the senses. It is turning inward and going so deep and trying to move through the different layers of your being. We call them koshas in yoga nidra. So peel back these different layers. They're like those Russian nesting dolls where you have like the original and then, you know, the copy, the copy, the copy. And so you're trying to take all these layers away and you're trying to come face to face with the true self where you can plant a positive seed of intention where we call it Sankopa and yoga nidra. And so if meditation is withdrawal of the senses, this is like super duper withdrawal of the senses, like taking this conscious Mm -hmm. journey all the way inward and practicing Mm -hmm. like the deepest form of pratyahara, which can be really profound. And it always can, I shouldn't say always, it often will feel really interesting in your body. When you turn off your senses that much, it can just be a really kind of cool, interesting experience for people. Yeah, it definitely is. Like when you come out of it, it is like, when you come out of it, you're kind of like, it's hard to believe that that like that you didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Like you're like, oh wait, I'm still <laughs> still here. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about like how to create and maintain a personalized yoga nidra. Cause I do think that this practice has the ability to change someone's health. It could change their, I mean, I just think their whole entire life. Um, so walk me through what that would look like. You know, I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that question before, but I love it. It's such a good one. Um, you know, when it comes to like personalized yoga nidra, the, I guess like the magic is in the sankalpa or in that intention that you're setting. So if you think about that intention, which is a positive phrase, it can be a positive phrase in the present moment about anything. It can be general. Like when I teach a yoga nidra class, I usually pick one of what I call as like a crowd pleaser. So something around like self-love or positivity or gratitude or releasing anger, right? Picking something that's kind of general that we could all use help with. I don't know anyone that's like, oh, self-love. I have way too much of that. I do not need to focus on it. (laughs) But when you work, like, like if I work one-on-one with someone or I do a private session or I create a personalized yoga nidra practice for them, I will create a sankalpa. And this is something that you all can do for yourself that speaks so specifically to something that you're working with. I once had a client and she had very extreme social anxiety and was worried about walking down the aisle at her wedding. It's a very big worry and fear that she had. And we created a sankalpa that was specifically about, you know, being proud and letting yourself be seen when you walk down the aisle at the wedding. If I showed up at a regular, you know, yoga nidra class and I'm telling my students all of a sudden, you know, and now tell yourself three times, I'm proud of who I am. And I allow myself to be seen on my wedding day. They'd be like, are you okay? (laughs) But it's so cool because you're speaking directly to your true self and you're Mm -hmm. telling the true self what it needs to hear. So it's almost mm-hmm. like you're writing the sankalpa. It's like the whispers of the soul. And it can be so specific mm-hmm. and speak to, you know, one particular thing that you want to work on. And you're not just planting that seed of intention in your life, but you're planting it into your soul. And the idea is that if you think of the soul as like the most fertile soil of manifestation or fruition, is that you're planting the seed right there in that mer- most fertile soil. And it's going to grow out through all of those different layers and come out into your everyday life. 
life. So if someone is doing like a personalized yoga nidra practice, a lot of the different elements will remain the same in terms of the steps of the techniques that you're using. But that sankalpa, that intention that you're setting at the beginning and then speaking to the soul at the end of the practice, that can be something that speaks solely and only to you. And I love that about the practice because it can be as unique as you want it to be. Hmm. So I have a couple of questions. Um, but the first one is like, so what, ha- so it, does the yoga nidra practice like override the ego, you know, cause when you are trying to speak to your truest self and you're saying these words often, when you're doing this on a conscious level, your ego, which is trying to protect you is like, no, you're not, that's not true. Like it, you get like bombarded <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah. Right. With like a lot of, with a lot of chatter, we've all been there. We're like setting this intention. We're like, yes, like this is going to happen. And then our inner, the inner critic just like starts to override. So when you're doing yoga nidra, does the ego try to infiltrate or have you kind of over like, do you're like ego, take a break, like go take a nap. Like we're going to go, you're fine. Everything's fine. We're safe. Don't worry about it. We're just going to be over here, like getting to the, to our soul level. Um, is that what happens or is there something else? I mean, I think the ego tries to infiltrate everything (laughs) all the time. I can't, at least mine does. Mine is like just a chatty Kathy, but in theory, yes, we are trying to move past that. So the ego usually shows up in the third kosha, which is kind of like the logic body or like the mental body, kind of that mental chatter. And so each step in yoga nidra moves through a different kosha. So we have the physical body, we have the energetic body, we have the mental body, we have the wisdom body, and we have the bliss body. Then after the bliss body is the true self. When you get to the third one, the logic body, that is when the ego likes to show up the most. It's also when people tend to kind of bring themselves out of the practice. So if someone's going to Mm -hmm. meet resistance in a yoga nidra practice, not even knowing that that third step where we kind of do a, um, the technique that we do is, uh, opposing feelings and sensations. So you may have heard in your practices, you know, feel your body become light or feel your body become heavy. You're kind of flipping between these two opposites and without knowing what the intention is of that particular practice, that is when people's internal chatter tends to pop up and be like, wait a minute, why am I doing that? I don't want my body to feel light because that makes me think about this thing. And then they'll tend to kind of get in their own way at that stage. So in theory, mm-hmm. if we're able to successfully move through that layer or that kosha, then the ego will be set aside. And it's interesting because you can't really access your wisdom or your bliss without setting the ego aside first. That if you mm-hmm. believe in the koshas, you subscribe to this idea, you cannot access bliss, wisdom, or or the true self or the soul space without removing the ego and the logic first. It just can't be done. So in, you know, in terms of meditation or a yoga nidra practice, how do you, how do you do that? Hmm. Well, there's a few different ways that you can do it. I personally like to I'll tell you how I do it. Then I'll tell you like my general teacher advice. But for me personally, I like to kind of identify my ego and my mental chatter as 
almost like another person where it's like, I'm sitting and then, you know, this ego or whatever is popping out. And it's like, Oh, like, hi ego. Like, welcome to my meditation practice or like, Oh, hello. I didn't know you were invited today. And I like to think about the ego as almost like the separate part of me or a different person. And when they show up, um, then I can decide kind of like if it's an uninvited guest, to a party, I get to decide what I want to do. Do I want to say, oh, you know, this is actually a closed event and shut the door. Do I welcome them in with open arms and be like, oh, ego, this is a space of love. Look at this incredible practice that we're doing today. Like come take a seat and watch this. I get to decide what I want to do to sort of that uninvited party guest when they show up at my door. That's how I personally like to deal with it. That can be a technique that works for some people, for other people Mm -hmm. having something that doesn't seem ego related, like a point of concentration to return to again, again, whether it's your body or your breath, having something that when you get that internal chatter, you get that ego showing up, you're just like, Oh, hello, ego return to the breath. And you keep bringing yourself back again and again and again, that can work too. For some people working with a mantra. So maybe having some kind of a positive phrase that you can use and, you know, repeat to yourself where you say, I am present in this moment or um, I observe how I am feeling without judgment, that can be a powerful tool for some people. When it comes to meditation, you're working with the self, you're working with the mind, you're working with your thoughts, your heart, your soul. That is going to be as unique as the person practicing it. It will be different for everyone. It's more about finding what your sweet spot is and what works well for you. And recognizing that just because something works well for me or something, you know, works well for you, Brittany, or or you read something in a book, that may be what works best for their mind and their meditation practice. But give yourself permission to play and explore and find what feels right to you. It's almost kind of like nutrition in a way. I, I don't believe that there's like one particular way that every single person on this planet needs to eat. And like, that is the absolute secret to health. Of course, there's some things that people find beneficial, but you have to really tune into your body and like what agrees with me and what doesn't agree with me, what makes me feel good, what doesn't make me feel good. And taking that approach when your ego or distractions or intrusive thoughts kind of pop up and try to get in your way. I love that so much. And I think that just really hits the point of how powerful meditation is because if you learn this practice of becoming an observer, so when you do have the inner chatter, you can have that internal dialogue like, oh, hi, you're here. <laughs> like it's not as intense because sometimes what happens, and I, I find this a lot with my clients, I have to be, I'm like the first person in their life that's ever told them that you're, they're not their thoughts and not to believe everything they think. And you know, you go through most of your life believing this inner chatter. And so this practice helps give you space and decide, is this like chatter helping me or is this, you know, harming me or, you know, whatever that experience is, it gives you the power to decide. So, you know, walk me through a yoga nidra practice. Like if you are leading a, um, a group, what would that look like? Yeah. So usually you can expect to be spending anywhere from 45 to 75 minutes with me. And I would say, you know, you'll usually see a yoga nidra practice being an hour ish. So it's not like meditation where if you listen to my podcast and you hit play and I walk you through like a 10 minute meditation, we're going to be spending more time together because we're doing 
a little bit more of in-depth work. So you'll come to the practice. You will get so comfortable. You will lay in Shavasana, which, you know, I get the humor in a former Shavasana skipper now teaching a 75, potentially 90 minute class. That is only Shavasana. Oh, it's so yummy. I know. I used to like, I used to be like, I just go to yoga for Shavasana. And then I discovered yoga nidra. So I was like, well, yeah, you're like, sign me up. This is for me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you'll come, you'll get so comfortable. I like to describe it like a yoga sleepover. And if people are listening to like yoga nidra practices on my podcast, I'll always say at the beginning, like, feel free to go get in bed, like grab pillows, grab blankets, get comfortable. So you'll get as comfortable as possible. And then we start with some kind of a relaxation technique. We may do some kind of a body scan or some breath, something to really set the scene, set the tone and to turn yourself inward. Then we are going to set our intention or our sankalpa. It'll be some kind of a phrase, a positive phrase you'll repeat to yourself three times. We'll then go into our first technique, which is a rotation of awareness in the body. That's exactly what you think it's going to be. You're going to move through and you know, you'll just be listening to the sound of my voice. I'll call out different areas of your body and you'll just let your awareness fall on those different parts of your body. After we do that for a while, you'll connect with your breath. So you'll do some kind of a breath technique to connect with that second layer, that energetic body. Then you'll do these opposing feelings and sensations. So you may, you know, use the example of, you know, feel your body become light, feel your body become heavy, or maybe, you know, feel your mind become clear, Um, Feel your mind become, you know, foggy and confused, kind of moving between these opposing experiences that we can have in our body and our mind. Then we will do some imagery that might be random imagery. And I don't know which ones, you know, your teachers did. I use a little bit of both, but sometimes a teacher will call out a lot of random images and you just kind of watch these images sort of pop up in like the darkness behind your eyelids. You also can do guided imagery, which is what I like to do often. So it leads some kind of guided imagery, a little bit of a guided meditation. You'll then be left in some silence and then you'll state your intention again. Hopefully this time you're speaking it right to the true self. You're then left for a little bit to kind of hang out with the soul and then you will gently reawaken. And that entire process can take on the short end, 45 minutes and on the long end, like over an hour. And what's crazy about that is like, it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. like 45 minutes to an hour. Do you know why that is? It's because when you're like, we only know time is passing through our senses. So I only know like, oh, I heard this thing before and now I'm hearing it again. Time has passed. Or I can see that the sun is lower out of the window than it was before. We only know of time passing through our senses. So when you practice withdrawal of the senses, you shut the senses down. We don't have the same idea of time passing. And so it can feel Mm -hmm. like it's going faster or sometimes slower, but we don't have that same kind of like, you know, you can generally gauge, oh, I think it's been about 10 minutes or I think it's been about, you know, I must Mm -hmm. be like halfway at this point. We can't do that if we're really practicing that deep withdrawal of the senses. Mm, that makes so much sense. Yeah. When you remove the senses, it's like the concept it's of like, what time. is time? Like, yeah. What is time? <laughs> that is so fascinating. So how, how did these practices meditation and then yoga nidra, like how does this change your brain? So, oh my gosh, so many ways. Um, I, one of my favorite, I'll speak more to, there is, um, a lot more research being done 
specifically on meditation and how it generally changes your brain. So I'll come back to that in a moment. Yoga Nidra specifically, there's a lot of really interesting work being done on the impact Yoga Nidra has on PTSD. So there is a lot of studies being done at the VA about using Yoga Nidra or iRest or similar techniques and practices on PTSD and how um, kind of what parts of the brain that it can light up or deactivate. And so with both meditation and yoga nidra, there's a strong deactivation of the amygdala. And the amygdala mm-hmm. is kind of like the drama queen of the brain. Um, it is, you know, responsible for fight or flight. It is a stress, pain, worry, fear center of the brain. So what happens is anytime I see something stressful or triggering, my amygdala begins to activate that fight or flight. So what we want to do is we want to deactivate the amygdala because many of us, it is overactive. It is too big. Um, and this is a big part of the brain that is responsible for PTSD. It's when we're having that fight or flight, um, triggered without an actual, you know, sometimes it is like a sensory trigger, but it can be a non-sensory trigger as well. And then the amygdala kind of kicks off. So if we can quiet that part of the brain and over time, which is what happens with regular yoga nidra and meditation practice, the amygdala can actually begin to atrophy, meaning we're rewiring our brains for smaller physiological anxiety pain, worry, and fear responses, which is kind of incredible. And then Mm -hmm. on the flip side, so that's a lot of what, when you look up the research on the brain and yoga nidra, it looks a lot at specifically um, PTSD and how, uh, sorry, yoga nidra can help with that and how it's impacting the brain um, from someone suffering from PTSD. But it is a wonderful practice for everyone, even if you aren't currently suffering from that. Meditation Mm -hmm. is really cool because it not only um, begins to shut down the amygdala and decrease the activity there when you're meditating, but it begins to focus the attention and the part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is like right behind your forehead that has to do with emotion regulation, memory, um, you know, kind of these higher cognitive functions, like concentration, focus, the activity gets focused in that area. And that part of the brain actually begins to grow. And we know that even 10 minutes a day for about six to eight weeks, you will start to get more gray matter, more mass, more neurological activities, and those little folds in your brain, it'll start to increase in the prefrontal cortex, meaning not only have you rewired your brain to have smaller pain, worry, anxiety responses, but you have now also rewired your brain to have a better ability to focus, concentrate, have a greater memory and emotion regulation. And it also trains the brain to have less of a scattered um, pattern when you're trying to focus on something. So instead of a lot of, you know, little activity popping up everywhere in the brain, Brain, it begins to focus it on just the parts of the brain that need it. So you're also increasing mm-hmm. your capacity to focus on one thing and utilize the parts of the brain that need to be utilized for that task or those moments of concentration. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. I mean, I think it's so cool. You're talking. It is so cool. Like geeking out over here. Cause like the way that I view it is like the amygdala is the like toddler brain. It's the mm-hmm. lower brain. Like I think it's of it as like the, the mean thing. girl, like the drama yeah. queen of high school. Yeah, drama. <laughs> and, and then the prefrontal is your higher self. It's the one that like wants you to follow your schedule and plan for the week and follow through and focus on one task at a time and not do the pleasure seeking activities that the amygdala is like, dude, you want that right now? Like <laughs> it's so, it's like the way you described it is beautiful. And you can like, I mean, anyone that's listening that isn't meditating or trying these practices, like I feel like if, if I wasn't, I would be sold. I'd be like, really? 
Like this tool can help me with that. And it's so cool because we have these studies, we have like these MRI scans that back up what we kind of intuitively know, because you also have a lot of studies of people self-reporting saying, well, after I started a regular meditation practice, I become happier. I become less depressed. I become less anxious. I'm able to concentrate better. You know, I can focus on things and I have a better grasp on the ebbs and flows of my kind of emotional fluctuations. People will self-report that, which is great. And that is fantastic that people are feeling that way. But I want some data to back it up. Maybe it's because I am married to someone in the you know health world, and so it's so interesting because we have some spicy dinner conversations of you know my partner being like, oh well, can you take like an MRI of your chakras? And I'm like, well, no, you can't like you know <laughs> X-ray your soul, and you know of these things where it's like we can't always have like an image of something or like data with something in this field that we intuitively know is happening or that we're experiencing in our own lives. But I love and kind of like this, you know, feelings and science or like, you know, what we think is happening and Mm -hmm. science and data intersect because then it's like, oh, so I'm not just feeling this way. Like it's actually changing my brain. And I can Mm -hmm. see that that's happening, which I think is so cool. And for so many people, that is, that's what they need. It's like, they need to know the why behind something and what changes are going to happen in your body. Like a bunch of people don't go to the gym because they're like, oh, well, I don't know what's going to happen with my body. Like maybe it'll stay exactly the same. I just go. Cause you know, like it feels good. Sometimes you go because you're going after like a certain goal and it's okay to have that same kind of goal be changing and strengthening different parts of your brain. Totally. I mean, to that example, it's like, you're working out your brain. Like it's, that's what it is. And it's, it's hard because a lot of it is intangible, mm-hmm. but it is nice when there is like the tangible data to, to back it up. Um, I, you know, I think yoga, yoga was kind of my gateway into this world of personal development and growth and like meditation has helped me in so many, I would say seasons of my life and especially into motherhood. I mean, I've been doing a consistent meditation practice for years, but I really started to double down on it when I was prepping for, um, labor for birth. And it was like the most amazing experience. And I do attest a lot of that experience to my meditation practice, but then into motherhood, it's been even more powerful because that inner critic, that loud, mean, like drama voice is like, I've never had it be so loud. And the practice, having these practices in place has helped me big time, but it's also been a challenge because to find the time to create the time, I should say to meditate when we're working around sleep schedules and feeding schedules and then getting into work and then all the other things, it can be really tricky. Um, especially like if the mornings used to be my time to meditate and now like baby girl wakes up early and that whole thing is out the door. So let's talk about, um, a little bit, how to create a practice, whether it's with yoga nidra or meditation that, someone can actually sustain. That's like realistic. Cause sometimes people are like, I'm going to meditate 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. And like, while that is great, that might not be realistic to everyone. Yes. It's definitely not realistic to me. (laughs) What you just described back in the day, maybe. Oh gosh. I don't even know. That's impressive for even back in the day when I will say that, well, 
I was going to say only when I was like living with the monks and they were like, you won't, you, you won't speak. You will literally only meditate all day long. Then I was doing that, but I had to like take a vow of silence and like turn in all my electronics to be able to do that. But I think, I mean, the first step I, you just alluded to it, like set realistic expectations for yourself. That's the first step. If you like studies tell us eight to 10 minutes a day is enough to get these mental, emotional, physical benefits you aren't a better or worse person because you are meditating for eight minutes versus 38 minutes, like set yourself up for success by setting realistic expectations for yourself. I typically meditate for 10 to 15 minutes a day and I'm a meditation teacher. That is what is realistic for me right now in life. And so that's what I do. And do not let that be a thing that you beat yourself up over. It's so easy to be like, well, I used to, you know, meditate for hours on end great. That was awesome for you then. And now what you're doing now is awesome for you now. So starting with realistic expectations, knowing 10 minutes a day is plenty. I find that people doing the first 10 minutes of the day or the last 10 minutes of the day with one exception, which is motherhood, um, that that tends to be the best for people. So either right when you wake up and again, realistic expectations. If you are the kind of person where you do not want to set your alarm, even 15 seconds early, and you're not going to stick to a morning meditation practice because you don't like it, then don't do it. Do it before you go to bed. Um, so first 10 minutes or last 10 minutes of the day I find is the easiest to stick with because your whole day can be so busy, but hopefully every day you go to bed at night. And if we're lucky, we wake up again in the morning. That might be the only constant. The exception to that is if you have a very interesting schedule, like when you have a young baby and it's like, I don't know what is morning, what is night. I'm just working in these, you know, 90 minute to three hour wake windows, like what is time, then mm -hmm. just do the time that you feel like you can do it. So if that is a particular, maybe that's a certain app that your child is taking, you can do that. But for most people, first 10 or last 10 is the easiest for them to stick to. And then playing around with different styles, finding a style or a teacher that really resonates with you and that will help you with your realistic goals. That's a wonderful way to do it. So for many people, that's like listening to a guided meditation, just hitting play first thing in the morning or at night, listening to someone else, lead them through a practice, and then they're done. And then you are not going to think about it until the next day. You're just going to let it go. You're going to let whatever that experience was, let it be. And then you do it again the next day. And that's really, I mean, you just, just don't be so hard on yourself. It's such yeah. a little deal. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is true. I, I think that's amazing advice and like such an easy, tangible action step that someone can take. Um, because I know like right before Ellie was born, I just threw everything out the window. I was like, I'm burning it all down and I'm just going to start fresh. Cause I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't yeah. know what my habits, my rituals, like it just to try to fit it back into my life, how I was doing things like to have two hours just where like, that was my morning routine. I literally had two hours every morning that I would meditate and journal and do all things. Sounds and lovely. It was, it was lovely, but it's no longer my, my reality. And I, but I do find that when I do meditate, my days are so like, I am so much less reactive. I'm more in tune with how I'm feeling. I'm not making decisions from, you know, an emotionally charged place. So it's like, I can see the, you know, the space between like when I do it and I don't do it. And I think that's the key is like stick with a practice long enough to experience the benefit. And then you can evaluate like, is this helping me? Is this serving me or is it not? And I think that that's been a huge, like a big game changer for me as I started creating my habits again. Cause I was like, this is what 
anymore? Like, maybe not. Like, maybe I should like maybe try this in a different way. Maybe I want to do it at a different time. Um, and that's been really, really helpful for me. Yeah. But I do think that, um, like, you know, having some sort of meditation in, in place and whether that's sitting quietly with your breath or maybe moving your body, like there is different ways to tap into, I think the power of it. Yeah. And just find what feels good to you and know that this is something that is supposed to add to your day. So let it be something that feels good and nourishing. Mm -hmm. Again, that doesn't mean an essay feels comfortable or lovely all the time, but let it be something that adds value to your day in some way, instead of feeling like it's something where you're like, oh, well, I don't know. I'm just going to do it because this is a podcast and Kelly and Brittany said I should do it. So I'm going to do it. (laughs) And then you stress because you haven't done it yet. Like let it be something that adds to your day instead of something that just Mm -hmm. like then adds something to your plate. And I think when you change your mindset around it of like, it's a small little micro habit that I'm doing for like my mental, emotional, physical health. It's just that little change, right? Like adding like one more serving of vegetables on your plate, you know, Mm -hmm. just adding in like eight minutes of meditation every day. It's this tiny little micro habit that we can do that can have a big impact on our overall well-being. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Like the adding value, it's like, is this adding to my day or is this just another thing on the to-do list? Cause if you view it as a to-do list item, it's not going to have the positive impact that it could have if you're actually viewing it as something that adds to your day. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Kelly, this has just been so amazing. I love chatting with you. Um, if someone's listening and they are curious about you know, where they can find you or where you lead yoga nidra practices, where, where can they find you? So, um, I am a millennial, so you can find me over on Instagram. Um, my handle is at yoga for you online. And then my podcast mindful in minutes, there's like over 200 practices over there. Um, I do have a specific playlist that I can send if you want to link to it somewhere, Brittany, yeah, that I'll has all of the yoga nidra practices. So if someone's curious, they can just click that. And then you will have, there's like 20 of them on there and you can pick whatever topic sounds good to you. Um, so that is where I'm hanging out. All are welcome over at mindful in minutes. It's such a fun, just easygoing, like lovely community over there. Come as you are. We'd love to have you dabble a little bit and, you know, just be nice to yourself. I love that. I mean, even just like mindful minutes, like it just, it, that's all that it takes. And I love that that's the name of your podcast. And it really can be that simple. We love to overcomplicate things, but it's just like finding those mindful minutes in your day can make a huge difference. So totally. I love that so much that will all be in the show notes um, and the playlist. I would love that playlist for, for yoga Nidra. Um, okay. So my last question is like joy right now is like, top of mind. It's like my biggest intention. It's also my daughter's middle name. And so I'm always really curious about like, what is bringing my people joy? Like what is lighting them up? What lights their soul on fire? So Kelly, what is bringing you joy in your life right now? Mm. So it sounds cliche. Um, two things are currently giving me joy. One giving me giving myself permission to do the things that I know feel that are important to me. So for example, I know sometimes I need to take a break from work and also from being a mother and giving myself permission to not feel shameful about that and to ask for what I need and then give myself that. And then also I've been finding a lot of joy in like tiny little things. So like going to the coffee shop that has like my favorite ginger cookies and just being like, I'm just going to get one and it tastes good. And I enjoyed it. And just Mm -hmm. letting like finding just those 
just little things. I've been having a lot of fun with like, you know what, like this would just, you know, just doing things because they feel good and they feel joyful. And like, if that's Mm. it, then that's still great. Um, and I've been just enjoying just these tiny little things here and there that it's like, just enjoy the little things as cliche as that sounds. I mean, it's cliche for a reason. Cause that's like, everyone's answer is so similar mm-hmm. to that because it is, it's like that when we find joy in the tiny moments, we realize, and we look back, like they are the big moments. It's like being able to savor them and be in it when it's happening is I think, you know, key to living a happy and fulfilling life. So I love that answer. And I love ginger cookies. When we were in Telluride, this, the farmer's market every Wednesday, they had these ginger molasses cookies oh. and I like dream about them. I'm like, will I ever have that again? I don't know. I'm, I'm hope I hope I find them again. They were so, you could just good. taste the ginger every oh, bite. A good ginger cookie is like yeah, out of this world. It's so, it's like yeah. next level good. It is next level. Your taste buds are like dancing. Yeah. Just can't wait for that. Right. That's it. Um, well, thank you so, so much for your time and sharing your gift. This was awesome. I learned so much and I know that my community is also going to learn so much as well. So thank you for your time. Is there any last thing that you want to share before we wrap up? Um, no, thank you for letting me be a part of this and whoever is listening, take an opportunity to say something nice to yourself today. Yes, absolutely. And then repeat it over and over again. Yes. And don't forget it. (laughs) Okay. These are the types of conversations that I absolutely adore having because it just gives me a different perspective and especially as a new mom. And it's so much fun to learn from other mamas in this world of wellness, mental health, well-being, and it just reinvigorates the practices and the habits that I had before baby. I'll definitely admit that my meditation practice since having Ellie has shifted quite a bit. And I know it's the one thing that just anchors me and grounds me and making time, creating time to find that stillness in my day is top priority for me right now. I keep getting all of these messages and signs and having conversations like this that remind me that my meditation practice is what brings me home and it helps me tap into my creative power. It helps me tap into my intuition. And I'm just so grateful to have these conversations because it just brings me back to it. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed interviewing Kelly. She's a wealth of knowledge, so make sure you check her out. If you are listening to this on Tuesday, the 8th, on Thursday, I have a abundance mindset workshop leading from a place of possibility, and I would love for you to join me. I'm doing it in my Facebook group. It's totally free. Um, If you want to be a part of it, make sure that you sign up because I'll also be sending you the replay. So sign up for that. Lots of good stuff coming. We have seven weeks left of the year. And if you are cultivating an abundant mindset, there is so much time to get the things that are important to you done. So I want to help you do that. So join me on Thursday, virtual party, 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. The link is in the show notes. All right, my friend, until next time, remember to own your happiness, let your light shine, because you, my friend, you are so worthy of it. Until next time.